Welcome to the Acme Conversations podcast, where we explore the world of the moving image and its connections to politics, society, culture, and art. This is a recording of a live event, and it may reference visual material. You can view this on our YouTube channel. Good evening, everybody. My name's Sophie Lieberman, and I'm Head of Programs here at ACME. Um, it's my pleasure to welcome you to the first in our inaugural um, ACME Conversations, which will be a series of weekly forums where we bring together our communities of makers, players and watchers to explore the intersection between screen cultures across art, film, games, TV and digital cultures and discover the myriad ways that screen cultures reveal our political, social and cultural moments, past and present, and also point to our futures. I think we're going to be massively upstaged this evening, <laughs> but happily. Um, as we begin this evening, I'd like to acknowledge that we meet on the land of the Kulin Nations, and our endeavour tonight um, with Acme Conversations is only a small part of a long history of people coming together on this land to converse and explore ideas, to shape politics and to express their culture. And you would have been um, able to witness that this evening with um, Tandera um, down at uh, Federation Square. We live and work on land that belongs to the oldest living culture in the world and which was, is and always will be Aboriginal land. And I pay my respects to Elders past and present and Elders from other communities who may be here today. So I'll hand you to um, our very able host and our panel in just a minute. But before I do, I'd like to acknowledge The Guardian as our partner in this evening's event and thank them for our support. And if you haven't already, I encourage you to visit Codebreakers, Women in Games, which runs through to the end of um, this week in Gallery 2 downstairs and was the inspiration for this evening's um, conversation. The curator, Serena Bentley, is unable to join us this evening because she's in London, but we're fortunate to have one of our curatorial advisors here this evening, Lena Vanderventer. So thank you for being here, Lena. And Lena and Clementine will both be signing copies of their books at the end of this session, so please don't um, forget to pick up a copy. A quick plug, this is the first in eight um, conversations for this season. Next week we will be looking at the intersection between art, science and virtual reality, and the week following looking at retro nostalgia, particularly as it's being expressed on our television screens at the moment, just in time for the launch of Stranger Things season two. So I think that's it from me, except to introduce you to Stephanie Combrey, who is our ABLE host. Um, before joining the, the um, Guardian, Steph was the deputy editor at Overland Magazine, a freelance writer and arts worker here in Melbourne and is no doubt known to many of you. She writes about politics, culture and the arts and she has a PhD in creative writing from Monash Uni. She's also currently working on a book on boxing in Australia and I'm already trying to work out how to weave that into a program in the future. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, Steph. Thank you. Uh, thanks all for coming along. Good evening and welcome to Changing the Game. Um, I would also like to acknowledge that we're gathered on lands stolen from the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and pay my respects to their elders past and present and express solidarity with their ongoing struggle. Um, so we're here today to talk about trolling, obviously. Uh, specifically what it is, who does it, who does it affect um, and how does it impact people's lives. Uh, Harassment is as old probably as people having opinions. However, the internet has certainly changed the way that we communicate with each other and it has also had an impact on how we 
uh, communicate negatively and how we respond to people communicating to us negatively as well. So what happens when people become the target of harassment on the internet? And perhaps more importantly, and I think probably what uh, many of you want to talk about, how do we combat it? How do we fight back? So I just want to... Um, uh, let you guys know that this may this event may contain some um, content or some stories that may be distressing to some of you. So if uh, please look after yourselves and um, find someone's hand to grab if you need to. Uh, so joining me to talk about all of these issues and more on my far left is Clementine Ford. She is a feminist writer and broadcaster based in Melbourne with a prolific online presence. She's well known for her public battles against trolls. She campaigns strongly and uh, I think a lot of us in this room would think amazingly uh, against victim blaming and gender discrimination. Um, and her book Fight Like a Girl was released uh, last year, was it? By Alan and Unwin. Uh, welcome Clementine. To uh, her right, we have Ray Johnson. She writes about video games, consumer technology, comic books and pop culture. She is a proud Wiradjuri woman who has regular bylines in places like Gizmodo Australia, Kotaku, Kotaku, I'm sorry, Lifehacker, Business Insider and Pop Sugar. She is the host of NITV's The Point and regularly appears on the project Today, Sunrise, Today Tonight, The Feed and National News Programs. Welcome, Ray. <laughs> Maybe I should have checked the bios with you beforehand. <laughs> Um, and to my immediate left is Lena van de Venter. Uh, she is an award-winning writer, game developer and teacher based in Melbourne. Uh, last year she published her first book, Game Changes, From Minecraft to Misogyny with Dan Golding. Her commentary on game development, online culture and feminism has appeared in publications such as Guardian Australia, Crikey, The Big Issue and others. She was also on the Curatorial Advisory Committee for Acme's Codebreakers. Welcome, Lena. And I'm Stephanie Convery, obviously, uh, from <laughs> Guardian Australia. <Woo. laughs> um, so I think one of the first things that I w thought we would talk about is just how trolling online manifests. So if you've never been in a position where you've had to deal with that kind of barrage of vitriol that comes from people who disagree with you online, um, it can be a bit hard to kind of envisage what that might actually be like and just how bad it can get. Um, now... Clementine Ford has been the subject of relentless trolling for a long time now um, and particularly as uh, in response to your career as a feminist writer, Clem. So perhaps you could tell us a little bit about an experience of yours that really kind of encapsulates the sort of stuff you've had to deal with. Um, thanks, Steph. Uh, just before we start, I just want to... Uh, I'm not going to apologise for having to bring my child tonight. No. But I do want to... Semi-apologise because I really don't want him to distract from the other amazing women on this panel, but I just didn't have any other options. So that is the rea reality. So um, my apologies for that. No, no, no. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I get asked that question a lot and it sort of feels like so much of what I'm known for now is trolling and how mm. I respond to trolls. And part of, there's a part of me that feels like that's, you know, it's obviously very interesting to lots of people and, and hopefully I can model some practical ways that people can respond to that. I would like to think that my work is bigger than that, but at the same time maybe I wouldn't be, maybe I wouldn't have as much of a platform for that work if I didn't also have this other thing hand in hand, that goes hand in hand with it. Um, 
Uh, I sent actually in preparation for this, I sent Ari some some slides for uh, as an example. Oh, sorry, I didn't. Oh, that wasn't my cue to make you show them. But I was just <laughs> going to say them, that so. like, <laughs> as it was. It's part of a talk that I give that kind of goes through a whole section or you know section of examples of the kind of trolling that I get, um, and some of them are just so absurd that that they, they're almost hilarious, you know, the, the way that people think that you genuinely care whether or not they want to have sex with you, for example. <laughs> um, and then others, it's they've gotten a little bit more personal or I've experienced them more personally, I suppose, since I had a, a child because people obviously bring him into it, um, which is a good opportunity to ask that um, if people do take photos that his face happens to be in, if they could just put like a little sticker over it or something, that would be great because honestly people will just take any opportunity they can get. And so I'll give two extreme examples of, of trolling and um, one is that someone sent me, it's one of my favourite examples, that someone sent me this really, really long email that included an acrostic of my name um, that was like, Come loser, oh, come face loser, extremely evil, um, moronic, etc., etc. Went on, and then they used evil twice as well, which I quite enjoyed. So they're talented then. And then sent this like Poetry. really long email that um, said something about like, geez, your assistants, your head must be so far up your assistants or something like that. They made a mistake, and then they resent the email because they realised that ass had. Uh, had autocorrected to assistant. <laughs> and so they resent, they changed that, they resent the email and it was like, come bucket fuck Ford or something was the original <laughs> subject title. And then they resent it with, come bucket fuck Ford, edit. <laughs> and so that is kind of like what I, I mean, it's so, the insults contained therein are so extreme and ridiculous mm. that for some people receiving that for the first time, they might be like, oh, that's horrendous. But for me, I just felt like it was so absurd. Um, and I like using that as an example of, of just how ridiculous it can be. But then on the other end of that, someone also said to me a couple of months ago that I will be the reason that my son will kill himself one day. So um, th those, are the kinds of, those are the kinds of love letters that I get. We've got a couple of other examples here. Lots of them come with eggs, right? Like they're anonymous, semi-anonymous. Yeah, I think that Twitter's changed the thing now so that there are no more eggs. But um, um, yeah, mm. yeah. So yeah, they have to they have to have an avatar. Uh, or? T Twitter now has some settings that you can go in and change so that if people don't meet a certain criteria, you know, if they if they don't have a profile picture, if they don't yeah. have a bio, if they don't have certain things, you can hide all of those accounts from oh, your feed. That's why I don't see them. You will <laughs> never put all those settings in. You will never see yeah. what they tweet to yeah. you, and that's available to everyone, not yeah. just verified accounts. So that's really useful. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. No, 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 that's, that's great, yeah. Um, so this nasty. was... Oh, yeah, this is just... Obviously, someone set up a fake account. I mean, that's a fairly extreme example of... Uh, one of the things that a lot of men... I think that this... Oh, yeah, so this is kind of like a thinly veiled rape threat. I don't ever actually think that the people who send thinly veiled rape threats are actually... I'm, I'm never scared that that's going to happen to me. I just think that they enjoy wielding that as a threat. But as so many women on the internet experience as well, um, I, I get the converse uh, that you're too ugly to be raped or you're too fat to be raped or the only reason that you care about rape so much is because no one would ever rape you. Um, and that's a, like a fairly frequent message that I'll receive. In fact, someone sent it to me a couple of days ago, um, which kind of, again, like I don't really get hugely 
I don't think that you could continue to be bombarded with that kind of stuff if you if you really got genuinely upset about it. It's sort of I've just become immune to it now. I get upset when I see it happening to other women because I I seem to experience it in a different way when I see them saying it to other people. But it it infuriates me that one of the things that feminists are, are so often accused of is painting all men as rapists. Oh, you feminists, you just paint all men as rapists. And actually, feminists are the ones that say, well, we demand a standard from men, and we recognise that there are many men in the world who meet that standard so it's not actually that difficult for you to do and yet it's people who say things like well you're too fat to be raped or you don't need to worry about rape because you've got like a giant gap between your teeth and you look have a face like a smashed crab or whatever um or you know like people need to women need to have common sense whatever it whatever it is you know so i i get i still have that kind of level of indignation and frustration about it that sometimes it feels like i'm back in the back seat of the car when I'm eight years old and my brother or my sister is like, I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. And I'm like, I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. Because that honestly feels like the kind of the level of antagonism that you're dealing with sometimes. It's, It's so infuriating, but it's also so difficult to pin down. And they're actually not touching you. So what can you do? Ray, um... You had a particularly interesting experience a few years ago um, on the 11th of April 2013, just to be specific. (laughs) On on your birthday, you um, tweeted about something that had happened to you at the coffee shop. You said, snarky guy in coffee queue, eyes off my Bioshock Infinite t-shirt, suggests I probably haven't even played it, so I told him the ending. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it was Tell brand new. It, was brand, it just came out that week. Like, <laughs> he wouldn't have played it yet. I'd had it a couple of weeks beforehand because yeah. I was reviewing it. <laughs> had the T-shirt from a press event where I was given it because it was literally my job to know about this game. Um, funnily enough, though, that whole thing was just kind of out of shock. Like, so this happened at a period of time. This is four years ago, by the way, and I still get I still get people talking to me about this tweet mm. responding to that tweet going, oh, as if you wouldn't know the ending by now, the game's been out for four years. (laughs) Come on, guys. It's totally the same guys that will attack you for not having reading comprehension or something, right? Absolutely. Yeah, so, so, yeah, this this game actually came out at a time that was probably what I would call peak fake geek girl. So this Mm. is a time where there was a handful of women working in the Australian games industry and, and media, probably could count them on one hand at that point in time uh, that were quite prominent and, you know, in in the media a lot. Uh, And there was a lot of combative people that I came up against that needed me to prove my worth. You know, I had a background as an actor. I'd done a bit of modelling. Therefore, you can't possibly have a brain. And as if you've played video games, you can't be a nerd. You don't look like a nerd. Prove yourself to me. I worked really hard to prove myself to a lot of people and I still do and it sucks that I've got to do that and that I feel like I've got to do that. But this was an instance where it wasn't just online people that were saying these things to me. This guy was right there and he was just like looking at me. He like did this thing. I'm thinking, what is this guy's problem? It's like 8.30 in the morning. So <laughs> many problems. I'm just getting so coffee. many problems. Leave me alone. Yeah. Like what? And he's just like, bet you haven't even played it. And I'm just like, what? No. Like because, you know, this is this and this and this and this. Like 
basically just trying to prove I'm not going to spoil it for you all. Oh, <laughs> I'm not going to do sweet? it. I'm not going to do it. But it came out want, four years ago, right? Want, <laughs> look, if you want to know what I said, I'll tell you afterwards, but I'm not going to do it. I've, I've become that person known as that person that spoils things for people and I hate that. So, <laughs> And his face just kind of dropped and it was kind of glorious. Um, Did he get mad? He didn't get mad. I think he was still kind of in shock because then they were just like, Ray, and I was like, yep, and grabbed my coffee and just got out of there, walked back around the corner, went home and went, that felt really cool. (laughs) I'm going to tell my, you know, couple of hundred followers on Twitter at the time about this. They're all in the games industry. They'll think this is hilarious that this has happened and it just blew up. Um, blew up to the point where, you know, Will Wheaton was blogging about it. I, it was really weird. Courtney Draper, who's the voice artist for Elizabeth in the Bioshock series, she started talking to me. <laughs> like, this is so bizarre. You know, Gail Simone, one of my heroes, uh, you know, writer for Wonder Woman comics, she also started talking about it. And I went, okay, this is amazing. And it was all messages of overwhelming support. Was people going, yeah, you got to stand up to one of these guys in real life. How great is this for you? The notifications kept coming and coming and I'm like, oof, this is a bit unnerving on my birthday. I'm just going to go have a bath and chill out and turn my phone off for a while. Came back and there was just so much hate. Just people calling me a liar, an attention seeker, saying that I just made everything up. You know, apparently at one point it turned into like something that my modelling agency, I've never had a modelling agency, had apparently organised with Irrational Games as promotion for the game. And I'm like, pay me. (laughs) I didn't even get a free like copy of the game or anything. (laughs) But it was, yeah, it it was a really kind of confronting experience to see that go from support to hate so quickly and it does happen so quickly and there was a long period of time where you know you'd google my name because I google my name I've got to see what's out there I'm sorry I do it you all do it too admit it Uh, and and you know there were forums that I would normally frequent and visit and chat to people about tech and games and all that sort of thing debating over what my motivations were and you know you know just disparaging me and calling me horrible names and there was an article did you kill him or just embarrass him <laughs> right like, right? like how serious should we take this you a know, man had his feelings hurt this cannot stand right <laughs> but yeah. did he really lena yeah. did he really have his feelings hurt because you can't trust what real? a woman says is he even real <laughs> Did yeah. this? So, yeah. Did all of that? Um, did that barrage of attention kind of bleed into your personal life, like into your real life world? I mean, oh yeah, did I'm, it have an impact on your career? Like, what kind of? Yeah, abs- absolutely. There was good, good and bad. You know, it's it's actually pretty cool to to have. I had a lot of people at that point that then heard about me because of that that I didn't need to prove myself to in real life because I'd kind of already done that online. So it did have some real-world advantages that this whole thing happened. But, yeah. It, that was it, not the motivation, though, obviously. Uh, no, <laughs> no, not at all. Gosh, I wish I had thought about that earlier. Um, but, no, it, the, the attention from people online did get to a point where I very much retreated from everything. Uh, I... Avoided conflict online. Still to this day, I will avoid conflict online quite dramatically. <laughs> I'll remove myself from situations. I'll never throw myself in the front line. I'll never do what these guys can do because I'm scared, mm. and it's horrible. 
uh, you know, I was getting emails and messages. You know, there was one email in particular from a guy who detailed to me uh, the particular route that my son takes to get to school. Wow. And that was when I went too far, come back, this isn't worth it. There are ways that I can support women in this industry and there are ways that I can do this without putting my family at risk, which is ridiculously what I was doing by existing, Mm. by just existing online. And one of the most high-profile incidents um, and probably one of the most long-running incidents in this sort of sphere was um, Gamergate, which I think probably most of you in the room are aware of. Um, Maybe, Lena, you could give us a quick pricey of what happened. Quick. Because it did go on for a long time. (laughs) Idiot's Um, Guide to Gamergate 101, go. Okay. Yeah, (laughs) and uh, what it actually was and who was affected. Um, And we have video when you get to key point. Um, So Gamergate is basically, despite what you may have heard, uh, domestic violence uh, outsourced uh, to a mob. So there was a guy, we won't say his name, We'll just pretend he's not real because he shouldn't be. Um, uh, who had a problem with being dumped uh, by his ex-girlfriend and decided to go about um, destroying her life in the best way he could. So he started spreading rumours. He wrote this great manifesto online because he knew that she was a game developer and she already had ruffled some feathers and, you know, they already had some people who thought what she made weren't, weren't real games, so therefore she was an imposter. She was All an games easy, are easy real target. Games. Yeah, <laughs> all games are real games. Um, and he basically uh, sicked a mob onto her. Um, and there was splashback for other women in game development as well. And, and critics and journalists, um, he accused her of sleeping with a journalist for a good review, um, of which does not exist. They still can't find the, the proof, like the, the review does not exist. So clearly that's not true. Um, and it was basically a way of trying to control her and abuse her once she'd left him, um, but with the help of thousands of idiots on the internet basically. Um, And it ended up sort of amassing into a a general movement of disdain for women taking up space in games at all. So it went from this small thing to a a larger movement, which incorporated um, critics um, and journalists like Lee Alexander got a lot of flack. Um, uh, Anyone who identified as a woman got a lot of flack, but Anita Sarkeesian in particular um, along with Zoe, got probably the most out of anyone because at the time Anita was asking us to critically look at video games um, and think about how they might be better. Oh, how dare you burn the witch, you know what I mean? Like it's like Terrible. you're asking me to think about the stuff that I like? No, like that is too far. I will not, I will not do that. Um, so uh, it, it, she, she came under fire as well and it became – this uh, this culture war, they describe it as now, between um, the boys who didn't want to share their toys and the women who just wanted to exist and play with the toys that they've been playing with since they were kids as well. So we've got a little bit of um, Anita's video to show you, um, in, just to give you some sense of the very basic literary criticism she was making yeah. of these games. It's not controversial. No. And probably won't work now. <laughs> 
Because it's a panel about something tech related. Yeah. It always happens. <laughs> Have we got any Every men time. around that can Every help time. us? That'd be great. <laughs> I'm doing the right thing. No, okay. Maybe that was no. the hold up. Oh, place Even oh here she is. certainly didn't invent the damsel in distress. The popularity of their Save the Princess formula <gasps> essentially set the standard for the industry. The trope quickly became the go-to motivational hook for developers as it provided an easy way to tap into adolescent male power fantasies in order to sell more games to young straight boys and men. Throughout the 80s and 90s, the trope became so prevalent that it would be nearly impossible to mention them all. There were literally hundreds of examples showing up in platformers, side-scrolling beat-em-ups, first-person shooters, and role-playing games alike. Let's take a quick moment to clear up some common misconceptions about this trope. As a plot device, the damsel in distress is often grouped with other separate tropes, including the designated victim, the heroic rescue, and the smooch of victory. However, it's important to remember that these associated conventions are not necessarily a part of the damsel in distress trope itself. So the woman in question may or may not play the victim role for the entire game or series, while our brave hero may or may not be successful in his rescue attempt. All that is really required to fulfill the damsel in distress trope is for a female character to be reduced to a state of helplessness from which she requires rescuing by a typically male hero for the benefit of his story arc. Nothing too out of the ordinary, right? She's basically just saying, can we analyze how certain tropes in video games may be influencing things for the worst? and maybe perpetuating harmful stereotypes. So what happened to her Whoa. as a consequence of that? Uh, lots of things. Um, <laughs> In a nutshell. She, she was uh, abused constantly online. And I mean constantly. I mean bots were involved so that it could be 24-7. Um, she had to go to a friend's house for a while just in case they knew her address. Um, it, it got really, really hairy um, and the – Probably the peak of that was when she was doing a speaking engagement at uh, Utah Utah State University, I think it was, um, and someone threatened the worst school shooting in American history if she turned up. And they have um, concealed carry laws in Utah that they said, we're not going to stop people bringing their guns if they want to bring their guns. God, women are so, just so emotional. I know. She's so un- irrational and unreasonable. Um, so she said, well, I'm not going to speak then. And that was probably, I think, I can't speak for her, of course, but the peak of sort of the realness of it when it came out of the offline and into the real world is that she had to actually make the call, should I talk and maybe get shot or should I not talk? For <laughs> like a video game about criticism. video games, <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, Ray, you've worked in video games for a long time. What, how, have, how has it changed for women online pre or post Gamergate? Like what has the impact been for how we interact it's, with people? It's been huge. I, I don't think I know any women that haven't had to reevaluate the things that they write about, the things that they make, how they present themselves online, you know, whether they even choose to interact on you know, things like Twitter, it's all very easy to say, just don't go on it. It's fine. But it's a crucial networking tool. Mm. 
for a lot of people in this industry. It's it's how you connect with people. It's how you market your game. It's how you market your articles. It's every facet that you can work in in games. You, you do need social media these days, unfortunately. So just logging off isn't an option. No, this neither is, is not going outside after 9pm in a short skirt. Mm. Like exactly. it's, the, it's the same bad advice and it doesn't work. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, I think you're pre-Gamergate, you're, you you dealt with the fake geek girl thing and needing to prove yourself, which in comparison is absolutely nothing to this. Uh, every woman became a target all of a sudden. It was like if you're existing in video games, if you're criticising video games, if you're writing about them, reviewing them, everything you did was picked apart by a mob of people. Mm. I have, I think I've maybe said the word Gamergate online once ever Mm. because I just held back from everything. I just did not engage in anything. I had people constantly tweeting me about it, wanting to get my opinion. Oh, just wanna just wanna see what you think about this Gamergate thing. Please refrain from using the hashtag if you are live tweeting oh my tonight. Gosh, because you are yeah. in for a world of pain yeah. if you do. Also or oh, use so it. We. And <laughs> or, or use it and see. Well, <laughs> you know, people would do that though. You know, they'd want to engage with you about it, you know, even in a positive way, even in a, you know, let's, you know, talk about this and how bad it is or, you know, positive relatively. And you'd be like, could you please not add that hashtag? Mm. Please Mm. don't drag me into this. And it really sucks that that was a moment that you can't, you know, have solidarity or you didn't feel like you could be there to back up other women or I didn't feel like I could, which which is awful. Um, But, yeah, it, it, it did change a lot. I feel like... I feel like now things are starting to calm down a little bit. Posses are springing up. Yeah. Let's mm. just like reiterate this was like two years ago now. Uh, t- 2014 is yeah. when yeah. They, yeah, the yeah. manifesto broke. So now it's just three years later it's starting yeah. to die down. Yeah, three yeah. years later it's starting to die not, down. Not, but not for Anita and Zoe. No, no absolutely <laughs> like, no. not. But that yeah. wider kind of witch hunt of anyone, any women involved in games mm. has, has kind of been dulled a little. So they're getting tired. Um, sorry, <laughs> not for me. But I yeah. think they're getting I wrote tired. a book they didn't like, but they don't read, so I'm really lucky. <laughs> no. But yeah, they do read yeah. ten thousand word manifesto. Yeah, yeah, I, they, wish, yeah. I wish they read anything oh, other than just, headlines. Just on that, sorry, I read the the best tweet about Milo Yiannopoulos's book when it was cancelled <laughs> right. by. Oh no, when it was before it was cancelled by Simon and Schuster, mm-hmm. and the, this like phenomenal book deal was announced. A terrible PR move, um, and someone wrote, "Why would you release a book?" Of Milo Yiannopoulos' words, his audience doesn't read. This book would have been better released as a three-hour YouTube video. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> because they do do four-hour-long YouTube videos about how much oh, they hate Anita's Have you had them made about you? I've got yeah. quite a few YouTube videos made out there I'm about me. Genuinely... There's one that calls me a cultural Marxist. <laughs> I take that as a compliment, yeah. personally. <laughs> but... <laughs> I'm on just brand. genuinely baffled at the amount of time that they have. Like, you <laughs> Do need they to, not work? You need to work more. Like I don't have to. I barely have time to read these tweets, let alone think about them. But he's coming to Australia soon. Lucky. Us. Yes, Milo obviously being key figure mm. in this um, online drive to hate women. Mm. Yep. Um, we will we'll talk a little bit about. I think a little later. Mm. Um, But I'm really interested in kind of picking apart who these people actually are. Um, And I wanted to just sort of talk a little little bit about a friend that I have who will remain nameless, um, who is is a really, really nice guy and um, somebody who I would turn to in in um, uh, an emergency in a minute 
um, hugely supportive of the women in his life, incredibly selfless in a lot of ways, um, very good politics, all sorts of things. When he gets online, he becomes a fuckstick. Like, he's, he's just a completely different person. He is one of those people who will make, like, what used to be egg, you know, av- avatars and, on Twitter and... and troll people like he would he would send those anonymous stupid messages and you'd be like what are you doing mate who are you like which one of these which one of these personalities is the real you mm. um and it makes you it makes you question the sincerity of not only i mean anybody that you know who kind of engages in not online behavior like that but also the sincerity of those people online like how much of this mm. how much of the people how much of it is real how much of this personality that they're putting forward online is real um Clem, what do you think? I, I mean, you've seen so much of this. How much of it do you think they would back up in real life? Um, well, it's interesting because my friend Anna works at Acme. She's very nicely taken my baby outside. So thanks, Anna. Mm-hmm. Um, she said to me that extra security was booked for this event because it's because of the subject matter. And I was like, oh, that's very nice, but I don't think it'll be necessary. Maybe it would be necessary in America where they're allowed to bring guns into a theatre. But... My experience is that people are very, very loud online and not a single person has ever turned up at an event. Not to, not to yell at me, not even just to sit there like quietly seething and then take over the question and answer section at the end. Um, I think that the number one – it's funny because I, I agree that they have a lot of time and they have a lot of like very specific interests and hobbies <laughs> that take up – a lot of their focus and attention. But I also think that they're incredibly lazy. Mm. Um, They don't have any follow-through. The the difference between all of the women sitting on this panel tonight and the people who make a habit out of trolling is that all the people sitting on this panel tonight actually follow through on the things that they believe in. You know, we we have beliefs and we also have action and they don't really have anything further than what it is that they fiercely believe in online. Mm. I think that, you know, one of the things, particularly hearing both of you, Ray and Lena speak, one of the things that, um, you know, I mentioned earlier that it doesn't affect me when I when people say horrible things to me, but I, I do feel very affected by it when I hear it happening to other people Same. because, yeah, because you yeah. kind of like, you perceive it differently when it's happening to you. You perceive your defence mechanisms to be stronger than other people's, uh, which is not to take away from other people, but just because you see other people as being more human than the robot you've had to become. (laughs) Um, But I just get overwhelmed by the amount of, like, impotent rage Mm. out there. You know, this terrible fear that so many men seem to experience about the ways that what they already perceive to be the limited power that they have is being further taken away by women. Um, And Which is not to say that I think that all... Which is not to say that I think that all trolls are men, but most of them are, I think. And it's also not to say that I think that all trolls are... Um, I would never use these terms, but to, to borrow the parlance of the trolls are beta. Um, but I think that maybe... I'm, I'm really intrigued by the ones who perceive... Whose, whose greatest grievance, it seems to me, to be their inability to actually measure up to the patriarchal standards of masculinity in the world that... Um, they 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 feel inferior to to what it is they've been told proper powerful alpha masculinity is supposed to be, and rather than actually joining in any kind of struggles that try and dismantle that, instead they just get angry at 
at the women in their lives or the women who they see around them who are being given given power, never earning power, but just given power because of their looks, looks that they won't share with them. Um, <laughs> this kind of like it's it's weird to me to think of the fact that um, I, I I'm not. I said to Ray earlier on that my involvement is gaming is really enjoying playing King's Quest. Um, good. So I'm not like in the gaming community, but it seems to me from as an outsider looking in the pop cultural stereotype of what a heterosexual man in gaming would want would be like an awesome woman who can game. Um, right. And then they're presented with it and it's like, no, nah, and, and that's can't like be reflected in, in like movies and stuff. But, Absolutely. but in real life, it's, it's, it's seems to be experienced in a, in a, like a, as, as an attack on yeah. them. Yeah. There's actually some um, studies that have shown that the vitriol online while playing online uh, to women is increased when she's beating him. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so, yeah. you know, it's, it is a, an insecurity in yeah. some ways. Yeah. Um, and, and it seems to be because they're literal losers that they, yeah. uh, they can't handle it and they don't know what to do. Yeah, but also, mm. you know, to kind of respond to Steph's question about like, what's the reality and what's what's sincere and what's not sincere. I think that there are some people who do probably troll as a form of entertainment, you know, mm. that, and that's why you have to be very careful. I mean, I make jokes even about men living in their parents' basements, but I think that the majority of people who make a habit of trolling people online probably quote-unquote normal and have jobs and families and friends. It's an art. Back when the internet started, it was one of the funnest things you could do is to trick Blame someone was. into thinking you're sincere. Yes. And then go, <laughs> <laughs> there was a whole season like of was, South Park about was, this. It was <laughs> perfection. Like, like you, you t- say to a celebrity like, oh, um, what's up, dog? And they go, I don't know. Like you, you say, oh, what, what are your feeling, feelings about up, dog? And they go, what's up, dog? And you're like, I don't know. What's up, dog? What's up with you? Like, like that kind of trolling so is different. So that's what trolling used to be. That's what trolling used to be. It used to be tricking someone into thinking you were sincere. And now it's become yeah. just criminal activity. Like, Which is why when, yeah. I, when I do yeah. talk about trolling, I, I actually steer clear of calling it trolling. I call it harassment because that's yeah. what it is. And there needs to be that differentiation between like criminal activity yeah. and playing and a practical people joke being with mean online. Right. Well, and that's something that a lot of people yeah. don't seem to realise mm. in Australia is that it's a it's a crime to use a carriage service to menace or harass. Yep. Um, and in fact, when you explain that, in, I, I contacted a fifteen year old boy who who was trolling me on harassing me online and <laughs> um no no, no it's a good, re- it's a good reminder and explained to him you know this is this is actually a crime and I, I was a bit heavy-handed about it I was like this is a crime punishable by up to I think I, I think I, I didn't <laughs> ten lie years. 10 years I didn't lie I said it's a pu- crime punishable by up to 10 years in prison and a $30,000 fine I think mm-hmm. it is and I was like you could be in big trouble buster <laughs> and immediately he, he was he it's not like he sort of like really back down and was like I'm so sorry please don't tell my parents but he he did kind of like back down a little bit and then it sort of became about how he I mean I, I sort of got this anyway because he, he was making these these videos about me and posting them on Facebook but I think that he was trying to show off to his mates mm, yeah. and get points from other men you know about and I reckon that like at its heart that's probably what a lot of this mm. is about is how much yeah how much how far you can go and so on that note when some sometimes when people say to me are you ever s- scared my response is usually 
99% of the time I would not consider it to be a threat that anyone would actually follow through on anything that they'd said. I'm not, I'm not afraid. But there is a little part of my, my – there's a little part of me in there that thinks, what about the person that just wants to, like, prove a point yeah. To, yeah. to the men? I'm scared all the time. I yeah. had a guy who had dedicated a whole blog to how shit I was and he would come up to every event that I did – this is a couple of years ago, and he would sit front row, mm. Sonny's on, and a box on his lap. And I have no idea what was in the box, but that was the point, was to make me flustered and was to make me scared. Did you ever ask people to not let him in? Yeah, I gave his, his photo to security sometimes and said, like, if this guy turns up, just don't let him in. He'll have a box and some Sonny's. You'll know him. You'll see him <laughs> a, a mile away. Um, but his blog, as, as I seem to get sort of a bit more prominent, um, in, in so far that I am, um, his blog started dying down a little bit and, mm. um, it's been about two years since I, since he's posted anything or, um, since he's turned up to anything, but he works in security mm. <laughs> so right. and we share a lot of mutual friends still. What? And, um, so it got to the point where I was like, I'm cutting all of y'all off. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't. How can you, so that's yeah. the other yeah. thing, like, how can you have... How can people be like, oh, I don't want to get involved. Oh, he hasn't done anything wrong yeah, to me. He works in security no. and he's no. like clearly unhinged. So yeah. they're all terrified yeah. as well. So it's kind of like. But maybe yeah. that's like a um, more specific to the gaming industry because mm. it's perceived to be, uh, which is not necessarily the reality, of course, but it's perceived to be a hyper-masculine environment and the mm. women getting involved are like. Yeah. They're stealing space or they're in, they're encroaching somehow, yeah. whereas um, it's less likely that a guy would turn up to a feminist event because, A, men don't come to a feminist yeah. event en masse anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but, B, like it's not a space that's they, – they think that feminists are stealing things from them. Oh, but the space itself is not something that once belonged to men that, that women are suddenly like mm. now infiltrating. Well, I mean, even if you look at how video game expos have traditionally been run over the years, you've got booth babes mm. there constantly. This, these are the sorts of things that are disappearing and people are kind of fighting against. And I think this is like their kind of death throes screaming into the void of don't take our pretty shiny things you know the women ever look come at the car? Car? basically yeah <laughs> you. you know and and they're seeing this scene change from you know all throughout the, the the 80s and early 90s you know the way that video games were marketed you know you've got literally go find some of these ads they're hilarious not really but you know what i mean you've got a woman in a bikini draped over an arcade machine you know they were there as accessories they weren't you know the people making them or playing them but but they were but even five years before that the personal computer was marketed with a mum and her daughter right playing together right and (laughs) And then there was this whole shift and the the market crashed and we all shut our pants and you know changed our mind yeah and And put all of our eggs into one basket which was dudes so there there are a lot of people i think that we can agree (laughs) basically it's quite (laughs) concise but you know (laughs) it's a bit more complicated than that (laughs) sorry to hijack the conversation but there are a lot of i think (laughs) i wanted to i wanted to take a Dig into this a bit further. This um, this difference between what happens in online and what happens in real life, because there are some pretty serious. There have been some pretty serious political implications from mm. these online movements, in particular, like a thousand people mobilizing at Charlottesville on the far right. Mm, that yep. is pretty clear. Came out of these sorts of things. Um, so, I what? How how strong do you think that connection is between 
you know, the, this en masse kind of trolling of women, this like hatred of women online and these far right movements. I think once behaviour that was once con- um, considered unacceptable is modelled as acceptable, all these little worms come out of the woodwork and go, oh, cool, we can be racist now. Awesome. Um, it wasn't acceptable for me to be like that before, but now I can because Trump is. So now I'm going to go out with my tiki torches that I bought at Ikea and I'm going to go and, you know, because I'm a threatened guy, um, you know, and, and go and make this statement. But the thing that they have in common with, say, the Gamergators is it's this this cohort of men that have been convinced by sometimes these ringleaders like Milo and some te- um, and sometimes, you know, Kernovich and all the other, you know, people who make these huge YouTube videos um, – that they've been convinced that they are oppressed or that a white genocide is coming or that the immigrants are stealing our jobs while simultaneously being on welfare, which is quite impressive. Mm. Um, <laughs> um, when you think about it, it's Schrodinger's immigrant. Um, so, <laughs> like, they've been convinced that they are somehow losing power, somehow being disempowered by all these other people. So therefore now they have to act, but they don't feel comfortable acting until it's modeled for them. Mm -hmm. And I think Trump was a model and I think Milo was a model. And I think, you know, the, the kid, the 15 year old kid who was making videos about you, Clem was probably trying to be a model, you know, so that he could feel big and feel strong and have a following. And then he'd have, you know, he wouldn't feel so bad. And I think what we're, how we're failing these men in a way or how men are failing these men because it's not women's job to look Mm -hmm. after men um, is there's no place for these – well, there are now. There's like – there's Life After Hate I think is uh, somewhere where people who used to be neo-Nazis can go and get support um, and be sort of reformed and get a lot of tattoo (laughs) – laser tattoo removal I'd imagine. (laughs) Um, Do some great cover-up jobs on the of documentaries. Um, It's fantastic. You know, there's not enough support out there for the men who go, this has actually crossed a line that I'm not quite comfortable with. Yeah. Um, And I I like these guys and I feel like I'm part of a group at a time when I'm really lonely and feel disenfranchised. So I guess I'll just kind of go with them and go get my tiki torch and my white polo shirt. But I think once it's modelled, it's copied and that's where where it's got to be interrupted. But it's also – it's – there's a fear there. You know, mm. and I think everyone in this room who uses the internet or has used the internet has experienced that, you know, there's that comic that's like, um, uh, come to bed, honey. I'll be there in a minute. Someone is yeah. wrong on the internet. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. And there's not, I mean, like, there were there are people who would argue that there's a thin line between that and trolling, you know. Um, mm. I don't think that they're the same, but I think that the way that we engage with arguments online is very different to the way that we engage with arguments in real life, which is weird because I also don't, I also think that the lines between online and offline world are becoming increasingly blurred. Yeah. Um, You can't, as you said, you can't just get off the internet. You can't just log off. Um, But that distance that you feel like the, the adrenaline spike that's been tracked and, and the way that, you know, the dopamine rush that we get from scrolling and that sense that like, oh, that, just, that, just, that, some, that person I'm fighting with just left another comment. I'm gonna or you see the dots, oh. the dots, they're typing, they're typing. Yeah. How dare they be typing? And no one wants like, to be the one that, you know, yeah. I even, even, I say it like, <laughs> even I, like, no, I'm like <laughs> terrible at this stuff, you know, that I feel it's such, it takes like such a, 
like a focus on patients to be like, just let them have the last word, you know? No. So that's so then like we're not here to when, let them have the last when it word. Transfers <laughs> over into real life, you know, that's it's a logical. I'm, I'm not isn't providing it? an excuse for it at all. I'm, but I I don't think, th- I, and I know you weren't saying that most people were characterized by like oh, I don't have no. a place to go that will help support me out no, of no 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 white supremacy. I don't feel sorry for them. No. But but no. I think that that's sort of like that's where that blur comes in is that the fever is there and in and I know that later on we're going to get to like the ways that the internet. Can, you can be, behave, respond positively to this stuff. But in the same way that the internet has had the amazing capacity to connect marginalised communities mm. across the world, not just in a way that increases their power but also prevents traditional forms of media from being able to silence them and say that, say that resistance no longer exists, mm. the same thing is happening for hate groups mm-hmm. who yeah. spur each other on, who, like, feed each other just bullshit yeah and i mean the thing the lies that were being told about yeah you, ray you know that it's so easy for that then to become the truth yeah. all you need is one person online who's speaking to a massive group of people who are intent on hating you to say well actually i was there in the coffee shop yeah. when ray claims that this thing happened and what actually happened was the guy asked her about her bioshock t-shirt and she couldn't she couldn't respond to him or what, whatever like story mm. they want to make up and then it doesn't matter that people, the same people who are like, well, unless you provide us with video evidence yeah. that it happened, then we can't believe it. Yeah. They'll just run with whatever like alternative story is thrown up there. So I feel like beyond trolling and and as part of the bubble of like hate groups that are kind of popping up, one of the things that concerns me even more than people just being assholes on the internet is just how there's no such thing as truth yeah. anymore. And rhetoric and yeah. like convincing someone through fact and argument and yeah. the traditional, you know, canons of rhetoric. You would think we'd be better at fighting online when we have the entire repository of human information <laughs> at our fingertips. Like my yeah. argument logically you mad, Lena? You mad? should be better <laughs> with my computer in front of me than just talking to you now. And yet you yeah. get all these people who just can't string sentences together going, well, I think you're fat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you're like, well, that'll show her. Yeah. Thanks, Aristotle. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, Ray, we were talking a little earlier about mm. parallels that you've seen um, between things like Charlottesville and like these online groups online. These, are, these yeah. online groups online. Online in groups In case online. you didn't realise that they were online. <laughs> yeah. Very um, online. <laughs> And things that have been happening in Australia. Do you want to talk a bit yeah, about that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, there are stark similarities with, uh, I don't know if you all heard because the media is not very good at telling important things, uh, Elijah Dowdy, a 14-year-old boy who was run over uh, intentionally uh, by a white man in his 40s who ended up getting three years for dangerous driving. Uh, he was spurred on by a Facebook group Uh, which if you go to this Facebook group, which still exists to this day, it doesn't breach Facebook's guidelines for being a hate group. You know, there's 17 million people on Facebook in Australia. There's 7,000 people globally that moderate those reports that you put through. Yeah, so that's an indication. Uh, There are some incredibly hateful comments there specifically targeting Aboriginal kids in that community describing in graphic detail the ways that these people in this community would kill them, torture them. 
and nothing is being done about it and it's creating this real world you know the racial tension in that town is incredible and awful and it's just such a horrible place for people to be at the moment and yeah it's the kind of thing like you were saying yeah these are the kinds of thoughts that you think are horrible and horrendous and why would you even share that but when you can go online to a group where you know everyone will support you and Mm. back up your awful thinking and horrible idea and it spurs real world violence and it's happening here. It's not happening in some yeah. disconnected place across the other side of the world. It's happening in Australia. It's, yeah. So I guess the obvious um, follow-on question is what do we do about it? Um, <laughs> now that we've gone down into the... Solve um, all the problems. <laughs> this panel right here. <laughs> um, uh, Anne Friedman has written, wrote this article a few years ago where she talks about um, the experience of like feeling unsafe online um, and in, but also simultaneously insisting that it's no big deal. And um, this like I, this sort of the sense that she had of this um, that there was some some importance for herself sense of self to be ignoring the trolls. Um, whereas it's, I, I think anybody who's really been in, in that experience, it's it's very difficult to ignore. Yep. Um, so let's start with the assumption that we're not going to ignore them. We're going to try to do something about them. Safe bet. I think. Um, uh, Clem, I want to throw to you because you're – I'm sorry we keep going on about this, but you're known for, um, for the way you respond to some trolls. Um, maybe you could talk a little bit about what your strategies have been and what you found works for you. Yeah, well, you know, kind of touching again, I guess, on this sort of the circular way that people who are invested in maintaining the power of trolls and the main, maintaining the power of alt-right narrative, the circular way that they talk to you is why you hear things like, well, just block them, just block them, mm-hmm. just ignore them. And then when you ignore them or you block them, then they say, oh, oh, censoring Censoring free speech. What Stray happened to free doesn't speech? have free speech. What happened to free speech? Oh, you just can't. You just can't debate them. You just mm. can't debate them. Um, so there's no right thing for you to do. Mm. And the assumption, of course, that I mean, I do respond to a, a proportion of the people who troll me, but actually, most of them, on the whole, I would say the vast majority, I just immediately block and just ban and delete and just can't be bothered with them i select a few lucky ones to be to be dealt with publicly um an example to the others right (laughs) well yeah just whoever takes my fancy that day um and and the the most common thing that i do is i just screenshot and post on my page and i will also acknowledge that um you know my page has 180,000 followers and that's not something that's not a platform that most people who are dealing with trolls necessarily has so for me to be able to do that is I've like I've got a lot more privilege than other people do in being able to respond in that way um funnily enough the pe- the same people who would argue that banning and deleting them is akin to censorship don't really like it when you actually further the audience for their work um you know I, I just sort of say well I just think that you know like I just appreciated what you had to say so much that I wanted to give it to a bigger platform you know um but, of course, that's not the intention. The intention is for you to feel small and targeted and unsafe and for you to possibly shut your account down. Um, so I, I do that in the main. People have said to me, well, you know, you, you should go to the police with this one. You've got to go to the police with this one. <laughs> Doesn't work. Mm. I mean, honestly, if I had, if I was 
to go to the police every day with, or if I was to go to the police every time someone sent me something that is the equivalent of breaking the law in Australia, I'd always be at the police and I'd always be being disappointed. Mm-hmm. Um, so that doesn't work. And I just feel like, I don't know that necessarily the way that I respond is the best way. It's just the best way for me mm. to respond. Um, and it's to, it's to show firstly to the people who think that they can get away with sending me things either publicly or privately that they're not going to get away with it, that I'm not afraid of them, that I'm not going to sit there and feel small the way that they want me to, that I will share the, their words with other people and I'll put them in the line of fire of you know, 100,000 people. people and whoever they share it with um, and they can see what it feels like to have people send them horrible messages to their inbox. Um, they can feel what it feels like to be isolated and targeted and put under a spotlight and um actually the all those screenshots came from a talk that i do about trolling called hate mail and i'll I'll be really quick but um one of the things that i say to people is that for me i found that one of the most effective responses is to shift the spotlight from you onto them and uh, you can do that by sharing their words, by by publicly shaming them. Um, you'll also have to be prepared to deal with the fact that people will say that you're just as bad, if not worse, than the person who sent you the message because you're responding like a bully. Um, that I'm, I've been told that I cyber bully people because I just share what they've said to me. Um, but I also think that it works in individual ways. Like if you're dealing with people in, in the offline world, um, you know, one of the, some people in this room may know this, but one of the best things that you can do if you want to respond to something that someone said, that's like sexist or racist or homophobic or transphobic or whatever it might be, but you're in a situation where you don't feel like you can, you either don't feel like you can escalate it with, with your anger or you feel vulnerable in some way, or also you just don't feel like being the one that has to explain why those things are wrong. Um, that you can say, there's two things you can do. And the first is that you can say, Oh, I didn't hear that. Can you repeat that for me? Um, and then get them to repeat it. it. You know, it works. It works in the sort of like the casual kind of expressions of hate speech. Mm. Um, the, the, it was just a joke expressions of hate speech. I didn't hear that. Can you repeat it? And then get them to repeat it again. And then hopefully the second time that they repeat it, they're like, oh, actually, I, I don't think I should say that again. Don't don't worry about it. Um, or you can say, I don't get it. Can you explain yeah. it to me? That's my favorite. Yeah. yeah can it's you explain like, to me why Asians that can't drive? And like, you go, what? Why? I saw one this morning. Wow. That was ama- Like, yeah. I don't get it. Why is that funny? Did you hear that? Is this peer like, review? Yeah. yeah. I'm like, what? But the, reason, the reason it's effective. Did I see a unicorn this morning? Like, yeah. The reason it's effective and the reason why that approach is effective and you can apply it in so many areas of your life is that one of the frustrations that I experience that I know a lot of people experience when they are saying like, you can't say that, that is whatever it might be, is that, oh, well, you know, come on, calm down. And then you end up feeling like you have to explain and justify your anger mm. and you are inevitably gaslit in the situation. You inevi- inevitably feel, even though you know you're not overreacting, you're told you're overreacting and you feel mm. like the room is against you mm. because the spotlight's on you because you're the one who's being forced to prove why it's wrong. So shift the spotlight to them and force them to prove why it's right. And that I think is a really effective way to to give you some sense of power in the situation and also to make them feel what it feels like to be disempowered, to make them feel what it feels like to be shamed. Mm. I'm interested um, also to think a little bit about this in terms of the individual versus the group. Um, many of us, I mean, we all work in the media and 
industry and um, often as freelancers. Um, one of the things that really struck me when I was thinking about this topic was that once upon a time, if as a result of your work, so as a result of your work in video games, as a result of your work in the media, you were um, attacked for that work, you could call on your workplace for support, you know. That's why we have unions, right? They're there to help us in a situation, in our work environment where we are being – where we are under th a threat or something has gone wrong. Like, but we don't think about trolling as a workplace hazard. Mm -hmm. And I wonder maybe maybe that's something that we should be doing. Like what, what can our I – mean, a lot of us are freelancers, so we're not necessarily protected by a workplace structure in the same way that we would be if we were like for myself I'm in a newsroom right there is a structure there there is mm. that protects me to a certain extent from um people turning up at you know the office um, there are, there are security people yeah. there you know who will stop somebody coming in if they think they're a threat but if you work if you work from home or you know you're only on contract really for a really short time or whatever what are the structures in place to protect you how do you pull people around you to help you kind of the internet can be a really alienating place, right? Because it's, sometimes it feels like it's you against everybody else, particularly if you're the subject of a pylon. Um, so I guess I wanted to kind of throw that out there, particularly for you, Ray and Lena, who work in video games. What like is your are your in, is your industry doing things to <laughs> better protect the women in that they that they employ? Um, what could they be doing? They're not doing much at all. Um. Yes, they're not doing much at all. Uh, we don't have a union. Um, we can sort of elbow our way into some other unions sometimes, depending on our skill set, um, which I recommend people do. Um, a couple of years ago, I'm going there. All right, I'm doing it. I'm strapped in. A couple of years ago, um, the head of our peak industry body, who would be one of those people who would be, you know, in the position to uh, be responsible for workplace safety and whatnot was asked publicly by a journalist what he was going to do about the shockingly low um, number of women in the Australian games industry. At the time, it was 8.7% of game developers were um, women. And he said absolutely nothing. Publicly, in a publication. Um, yeah. So lots so, of gender equity happening Yeah. There, yeah? So... Uh, that wasn't. That didn't feel great. That didn't make me feel supported by my industry body. That didn't make me feel like I could go to that person and say, "Hey, I'm being abused at work. Do you think you can help me with that?" I have zero confidence that he could, or that would want to, or that would give a shit. Um, and I don't think it's acceptable, a, as for like a human being, just to operate on that level. But b, um, it's so easy to have risk management things in place to help mm. us. Uh, the resources out there are amazing. Zoe didn't just go through all this pain and then go under a rock. She set up an organisation to help people who are dealing with being trolled en masse. She's got reports and one-pages one to take to your employer to say, I'm being trolled, here's what you can do, here's what you need to know and here's what I'm going to do. She's made it so easy <laughs> that there is literally no excuse for a union, a peak industry body, an employer, uh, you know, an activist, anyone to just be like, here's the plan, just in case things go bad because they probably will. Because there's women in the room, <laughs> like yeah. not because you know, of the women, because like, of the men responding yeah, to the because, women. Yeah, because like yeah, because people don't like women. So you know, it, the the bare minimum is so easy. There's there's like five resources that Crash Override have that are printable. You can have them in five seconds. And if you don't have them in your organization, especially as a peak industry body, fuck you. 
do better. <laughs> do better. Like, you've got to. We're, we're stuffed without you. Like, yeah. Right? Yeah, I think something that I've found, you know, because we have had that lack of support, I'm incredibly lucky in the role that I'm in now. You know, I'm a full-time journalist. I have the protections you were speaking of. I've had someone send me, you know, death threats, rape threats, all that sort of just standard, you know, standard stuff on Twitter. Uh, and they said that they were going to show up to the office. So increased security, incredibly lucky. You know, as Lena was saying, those protections don't exist outside of those bigger organisations. And I think what that has you know forced women to do but also it's a it's a positive we've really come together Mm -hmm. we look out for each other we've got each other's backs we have groups where we support each other I was gonna say you have structures don't you we make them yeah we, we make them amongst ourselves. You know, Lena started Widget for women to come together and share their experiences and support Any each other. Any broadband in the house? Broadband. Hey. You know, What's I'm up? working on a, a mentorship program at the moment called The Working Lunch, which mm. is launching next year and it's about providing, you know, female role models for, you know, women and non-binary people in the games industry to be able to go, oh, that's someone that I can turn to that will understand what I'm going through, that can guide me, that can help put things into perspective mm. and back me up, you know, and we, and we don't need to be throwing ourselves, you know, it's incredible that you guys do this and throw yourselves out there when I'm too scared to, but there's other things that you can do as well if you don't feel like mm. that's something you can handle and looking after yourself is so important. I've just want to acknowledge. I don't want to interrupt you while trying yeah, to like no, no, point no. this out. But like, you're a woman of color. It is scarier for you. Like we are. We have a, a position of privilege in which us going <laughs> into a conversation and getting shitty at someone, we are at less risk. Like statistically. So, like, yeah. don't feel bad for not <laughs> being there for your sisterhood. Like, this is the part where we've got your back. And, right. you know, you don't have to if you're too scared or if you don't want to. I'll not apologise for that. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, and I've got privilege in myself that I'm white passing. So, like, it continues in layers. Like, um, Oh, it's, but it's I, huge. I get it's it. Huge, and yeah. I... Yeah, hang on, what was my train of thought? Sorry, I'm <laughs> no, sorry. No, 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 no. We band so together got, and there are other things yeah, that you can do we, other than... We, yeah. we band together and we support each other and that exists. And it sometimes feels like a bit of a secret club because, you know, one of the damaging things about this patriarchal society that we live in because colonisation uh, was matriarchal before <laughs> um, <laughs> is that... We're we're conditioned to think that there's limited roles for women in industries like tech and video games. Yeah, we've invented programming. It's ridiculous. Mm. And we're not all fighting for those roles, you know. There's not a certain number of spots for female games journalists to write about women. Everyone can do it. There's not certain marketing roles for women in games, you know. Mm. They're all artists. They're all this. Like, women are working across every facet of this industry and we are not competition, we are support for each other. So there's this kind of mental hurdle that some people have to get past when you know, society's conditioned to see everyone as, you know, competing for the very limited amount of work that we have here mm. when in fact we have strength in numbers and we can just kick mm. butt all together. And one of the things that scares the men who hate women so much yep. and, and target women in particular industries so much is the idea that women secretly collude together. Oh, absolutely. You know, they we do. That's why yeah. I love it yeah. so much. Yeah. That's Can I just... We've actually, I've actually got an email, ad- a, a specific email address in my workplace that just goes to all the women. 
Mm-hmm. And a couple of the guys got wind of it and they were like, well, what are you talking about? On the, None of you your talk, business. Do you talk about the guys? And it's like, no. <laughs> we talk about when we're meeting next and what amazing, you know, woman from you know, whatever business yeah. is going to come and have a chat to us and inspire us. Like, it's they not all they about you. They can't conceive of a space in which they don't have – a, not just a role, yeah. but a dominance. Yeah, and it's, it, You know, I, I said earlier that um, I, I made that not not especially great joke about men not generally coming to feminist events. But I mean, you can see that whenever women say anything about like, you know, we're we're going to have a women's only space um, here, or this event is is women's only. Ah, oh, oh, sexist, sexist. Mm, yep. Double standards. Yep. Why can't men come? <laughs> Got to work together. Blah blah blah. You know, and. And then if you don't say anything, if you don't specify that it's a women's only space, um, it'll end up being pretty much women's only anyway because (laughs) it's only the thought that they might be excluded that makes them so angry because when the invitation is open, very, very few of them bother to actually follow through. Um, I know that we were sort of like heading to a really positive note there but (laughs) – We also have to head to questions. Yeah, I just wanted to say really, really quickly because I I just thought of it when you were talking about like what what responsibility does the media have um, or industry have. And I I think that it would be remiss to not mention how there are certain arms of the media that are not only responding uh, or not only um, uh, wooing the alt-right but also feeding the alt-right. And when you think, you know, I think in particularly in this country, the Australian – um, the way that, for example, if you're talking about trolling, the way that the Australian went after Yasmin Abdel-Majid mm-hmm. for her comments, for her very understandable and mm. sensible and compassionate comments and and continue to go after her. She just wrote an article for Teen Vogue in America where mm. she talked about how she tried to be – it's an excellent article, go look it up. Mm. She talked about how she tried to be the model minority because mm-hmm. she thought that mm. that would make people think differently about Muslims and women and Muslim women of colour in particular. Um, but it didn't work because, of course, the moment that she transgressed what people uh, – ex- the, the gratitude people expect – the, the model minority to show is the moment that the backlash starts. The Australian printed an article about her writing that and and carefully did it in a way that initially it seemed like they were just reporting that she'd just written this piece and they just sort of like cherry-picked some bits from it and then finished by saying, um, finished by pointing to, you know, stirring, stirring mm. people. This is a woman who was literally driven out of the country by mm. the way that people were harassing her online, who had to change her phone number, had to move house, was like threatened with death and rape by people who actually... I wouldn't be surprised if they could follow through. Um, and as, as left, she's given them what they want and they still they they still demand their pound of flesh from her, you know. And so the, the, the complicity and the culpability that traditional forms of media have in this country in being driving factors of the harassment that women in particular experience is has to be pointed out. You know, the fact that columnists like Tim Blair use their paid blog posts to write horrendous articles and commentary about, you know, women and and minorities in this country and never gets called out for it. I mean, one of the things that he has written, he's got a particular fascination with me, one of the things that he's written about me before was he just published a blown-up photograph of my face that's one of his followers, maybe him, um, had taken from my Instagram account of me on holiday 
And I've got like, I've got a, a mustache, you know, I've got hair on my face. Yeah, I should kill myself, I guess, but I've got hair on my face. How dare you have um, How dare I have hair on my face? And he blew it up so that you could see the, the little mustache on the corners of my lips. And he just put it under the headline transitioning and suggested that um, because of the hair on my face that I was transition. I, I, I hated men so much because I, I wanted to secretly be one and I was transitioning. So not only was he using like horrible transphobia to, to you know, do that to his followers so that I, they would just like just fizz them up about me. But he just he just did it with like no regard for the fact that he was just using horrible transphobic hate speech as well. You know that mm. what would be the pro- big deal if I was, mm. you know? But but this is he's like oh I can I can use that issue and I can use this one and I can just just set the bomb in the middle. That's all we've got time for tonight. <laughs> thank you so much for coming. Thank please thank our panelists: Clementine Ford, Ray Johnson, and Lena Van Deventer. I'm Stephanie Convery. You've been listening to an Acme Conversations podcast. Visit acme.net.au for information about upcoming events, exhibitions and film screenings.